I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net.
series. Um, I just have a few things that I'd like to start off with. Um, some of you did not take the test this week. That's fine. Some of you didn't take it because, you know, you didn't pay attention. And that's one thing. Some of you didn't take it because you are already very angry that I'm doing this series because you don't like me to be put in a box. And, uh, and that's going to tell me a lot of which Enneagram number you are. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to be learning about each other. Uh, but we're doing this because... Um, we believe that Christianity is, at the heart, a relational movement. It's a relational movement in three directions. It's a relational movement upwards to God, outwards toward our neighbors, and inward towards our own souls. Jesus, in his greatest commandment, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor until you know and you love yourself. So being a Christian, growing in the likeness of Jesus, is not just about coming to know who God is, but also about coming to know who you are in light of who God is. And that's the quest of epiphany. This epiphany season is this time between Christmas, there was Advent, then there was Christmas, and there's epiphany, then there's Lent. It's this time between Christmas and Lent where we explore who in the world is this crazy God who meets us in a baby in a manger and also will not hide God's face from us on the cross. That is a crazy God. And so this is the season where we go, who is that God? And who are we in light of that God? The Bible is about God, but it's also about God's love for you, for me, for us. And for a lot of us, especially those of us who have called ourselves Christians, it's really hard to say, this is who I am, and God loves me, and I matter. This is who I am, and yet God is calling me into new patterns of living and moving in the world so that I can be the best version of the person that God has called me to be. And so over the next nine weeks, this is the longest sermon series we've ever done here at Kingstown. There we go. Um, it's the longest sermon series we've ever done, nine weeks, we've got to do all nine numbers. Um, I don't say this lightly. I believe by taking this seriously, by diving into who you are through this tool, the Enneagram enlivened by scripture, we're going to talk about scripture, we're not just relying on this test, it will change your life. Because I know it changed mine. This thing has the possibility of changing your life um, by changing your marriage. It can change the way you see your kids. It can change the way you see your spouse. You might like your spouse at the end of this series. <laughs> For maybe the first time in a long time. <laughs> For some of you, it's, it's going to give you grace to finally get along with that person at work that in, instead of loving, you have been judging. For, for you to have a little bit more sympathy for parents who parent differently than you do. I don't know if you've noticed, but people are different. We have different backgrounds, different upbringings, different worlds. We see the world differently. In this, in this series, we're going to talk about, through the lens of Scripture, how do you perceive the world? Not everybody sees it like you. If you're married, give me a flippin' amen. <laughs> because two different eyes looking at the same fork in the same dishwasher, and you see it totally differently. <laughs> and so... We perceive the world very differently. Here, here's what I thought I saw. Here's how that makes me feel. 
am I? Because this grand story we gather every week to participate in is about how God loves you, God cares for you, God wants you to transform and to change and become the person God made you to be. God wants to make known and enhance the beauty in you, in each of us, and God wants to heal the brokenness in each of us. And so I encountered the Enneagram about two years ago, and for those of you who don't know what it is, has anybody, has anybody heard about it since that before I sent my email out? Wow, this is so exciting because I've said it to you. Oh, because they got married, that made them take it. That's right. <laughs> um, so it's this ancient tool. Um, it's the oldest self-discovery tool that we know of, um, and it dates all the way back to, um, it, it, it has some of the Near Eastern um, philosophy of the wise men, the, the fact that these men were pretty, they were worldly scholars, and they looked to the stars for wisdom, and they looked to the way their mind worked, and the way they believed the body worked at that point in time, and they all put that together in this holistic idea of what faith looked like. And then it moved on to maybe third, um, the third century after Christ, and you start having early monks taking these interesting numbers and how, and, and and how we work together and ideas and philosophy and science and putting them together to begin to make some guesses about how we can get a hold of who we are as a, as a human being. Um, and so we're going to study it through this way. And all the way up until today, there are still people that are doing new work with this thing. But it is the oldest one. It has helped me to understand me. It's helped me to understand my husband, Chris, better. It has helped me to understand some of you better. Because um, some of you, you know, I was praying God would lead you somewhere else at some point in time, and now I know you and I want you to stay. Because I know your number and I get how you work. I get how you work. But this tool has helped me to understand people, and it's the first step in understanding ourselves. And so let's, like, breathe in. Can we breathe in? And then breathe out, and I promise for all of you who are super skeptical right now, I promise that everything will be grounded in scripture, and um, that by the end, I hope you might, um, uh, you might allow this to maybe work its way into your life in some way, and you can throw it all out at the end if you want, at your fruition. Um, so, Thomas Merton said, you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. And so this reflects my hope for this series, um, Who Am I? Together we reflect all nine of these faces of the soul. There are all nine of these in our congregation right now, but also each one of us, different from like your Myers-Briggs or your um, DISC, where you're a D or you're an I, or you're a, but, but these, each one of us has all nine in us, a little bit of it. A little bit of it and some of us have some that are heightened in us and so there's a few things I want you to know before we go into one today um, the first thing is uh, Enneagram it means Ennea in the Greek Ennea means nine and grandma grandma means sign or type or face and so put those two together. That's where that word comes from. Y'all are going to spell it wrong a million different times. Um, nobody, yeah, people don't know how to pronounce it, but that's, that's what it is. Um, 
Then there are nine numbers, and if you see on, there's like a nice little diagram here, but you can also see it up there on the screen. Um, Gina put a nice little diagram on the altar. Maybe I'll put it in the center. Um, there we go. Uh, so this little diagram right here, if you start um, and you go clockwise, it clockwise is that way. Um, you have one, two, three, all the way to nine. Um, it's important to know that there is no type that is better than the other. That is, you're not trying to grow into being another type of person. That's, that's not the goal of it. In fact, each of us is here to find each type or face of the soul in ourselves and to figure out which one has its dominance in us. Also, each type has a spectrum. So I will, I'm, an, I'm a type three. Um, but I believe there's probably other type threes here today. Um, you, I don't know if you'll acknowledge it yet. You, um, but the, if you're a type three, you may be like, but she's nothing like me. I'm an introvert. Why would I be a type three and she'd be an, um, and she's like, she's up there. I would never do that. There, that. We could be totally different types of people, but our motivating um, force, our motivating uh, need uh, is the same. Uh, so there's a spectrum. There are uh, different, way, different kinds of threes, different kinds of twos, um, but we still have a common core. Other thing you should know is that every Enneagram has a wing. I know that's another weird word, but um, each number, um, your wing is the one of the numbers adjacent to your number. So if you're a two, there's a, the two type that's a two wing one, and there's the two type that's a two wing three. You lean more towards one of those others. I'm a three wing four. There are people who are three wing twos. You lean a little bit towards those. So to say, if you were thinking already from the beginning that we're putting you in a box, this will all of a sudden tell you it, there are no boxes. Like, it, it is so expansive. We are all so different. So different. Um, then there are also triads to understand. So um, there's groups of three, the eight, the nine, and the one. They're predominantly gut type people. They're instinctual people. Um, and they all normally pretty passionate people. Um, the two, three, four are another triad. They're heart-centered people. They are feeling oriented. The five, six, seven are head-centered people. They're in the triad together, um, and they're motivated, you know, by how they think and knowledge. Um, so as we dive in, we're going to talk about a one today, but we'll expand on those various pieces. And I got to know, I, there's so much information I could give you on this, so I had to chisel it down to get to some meat for today. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the first face, the Enneagram one. I want you to know that this is so, so, so not me. Um, I have a very, very, very minuscule amount of one in me. Um, this is often called the good person. I am not that person. Um, that is not how I grew up. Um, I, um, I do not do what is right for the sake of doing what is right. Um, I have to be motivated to do what's right. Um, the reformer is the, how we call this person. The reformer is the person who sees how things could be. There are perfectionists a lot of the time. I have zero perfectionist in me. Zero. I might have a little bit of reformer, but zero perfectionist. Chris has a heck of a lot of one in him. Um, this is who he is. He always wants to make sure he is doing what is good or what is right. I just assume I am good or I am right. <laughs> the, re the reformer wants things to be right, wants things to be good, wants the world to be a better place. 
where people are less stupid than they seem to be in the world. So our reformers are constantly seeing and speaking to the flaws around them. They always see what's missing before what actually is. They see how things could be different. And in today's scripture, we encounter the reformer. Did you hear at the beginning of the story, um, because I think we often miss this, Jesus said, a man had two sons. This isn't a story about one son. It says that this man had two sons. This story is about two people. And the younger son ha says to dad, dad, I want, I, I want you to share your inheritance with me now. I want it now. I want gratification now. Well, normally an inheritance is doled out at at death, but the younger son says, Dad, you're kind of living a little longer than I expected you would, and I want my money now. And what's amazing is that the father agrees to this. He divides his wealth between his two sons in the ancient world. The, the oldest son would get two-thirds of this wealth. The younger son would get one-third of this wealth, except if there were sisters, there were dowries to be paid, and so the younger sons would get cut in half again to pay a dowry um, so that the sister might be worthy of marriage. And um, So the younger son goes off with whatever percentage got sliced in half. We don't know. We don't know if he has sisters. It's, it's not a real story, y'all. Um, and, he, and he parties, and he buys all that his heart desires. And he loses all of his money. He didn't earn this money. He did not know how to handle this money. And his life begins to fall apart in front of him. And when he finally comes to his senses, it says he came to himself. Did you notice that in the text? When he has run out of everything and is hungry, when he finally comes to his senses, he, he says, at home, even the servants have food enough to spare. And so what am I even doing here? He gets real with himself and he made a mistake. This is not working out. Even the hired servants have room enough to spare. It's always amazing how um, lame kids think their parents are until they get up, grow up, you know? I, my parents got a whole lot smarter when I started paying bills. <laughs> so finally, he, he heads home, and while he was a long way off, it says his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And his father, choking up, stops him mid-sentence and says, enough of that. And he adorns him with the finest robe and puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This was not, I mean, this was the best piece of clothing in their entire household. And the ring, kind of like a marriage ceremony, symbolizing the permanence of this reunion. Now, I believe you're coming back and you're staying back. And in walks the Enneagram 1. Jesus told a story about two sons. We've got the idiot and we've got the kid everybody wants. We've got the kid who does everything right, who does well in school. While the party is just beginning, in the corner of the screen we see the older son. And what is he doing? He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's back at home cutting the toilet paper on the roll where on the spool where it like comes over the top and not under the bottom. And he's loading the dishwasher with the forks and spoons and knives in separate cubbies. Um, and they're all either turned up or they're turned down, but never, never mixing them up. Where's the older son? He's taking stock of the family enterprise and evaluating for efficiency and sustainability and identifying new ways that this thing can run better. The older 
poor son is the, in the corner doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's what reformers do. They get, and they get taken advantage of for it. God, thank God for that. Let me say this. For anyone who wants to be critical of the good people or the right people in your life, the ones that seem right almost to like this maniacal point, without them, there would be no Kingstown communion. You know why? Because they serve. They give. They're here. Some of you are praying, I don't know, I don't know if I feel like going to church today. I've got to get in my yoga pose to figure out if that feels good for my life for today, or if it's pajama day. <laughs> Once they're here, like boom, they're in the room. Thank God for these people. They pay for us to use this building. They pay for my salary so I can give you this message. Uh, our, our ones aren't going to the park or on a DC excursion or a family fun day on Sunday morning because they have a duty to what is right. Where's the older son? He's in the field working and he's being taken advantage of. If we didn't have people who attended to what is right, what is orderly, what is good, what is acceptable, can you imagine what the world would be like? What if everybody's what if everybody's finances looked like it would be if I was in charge of them? <laughs> I, don't, I know what my finances in my house would look like if I did not have a one in my life. It would be a train wreck. It would look a lot like my car. <laughs> what if everybody just drove on the roads like I did? Um, what are ones doing in their car? They're driving, yeah, and going the speed limit. Yeah. They're using their blinkers. They're not on their phone. They're not putting on lipstick. They've got like 10 different hands-free devices that they can choose from. They've, somebody puts a new one in their stocking every year. <laughs> They're doing what's right. And, and while doing it, calling out every idiot on the road as they sit, <laughs> convinced that there is this massive conspiracy for all the world's stupidity to interfere <laughs> with their obvious righteousness. Ones get stuff done. I love a good one on my leadership team because they work. They do stuff. The older brother hears music and dancing in the house and asks, what's going on? Your brother is back and your dad killed a cow for him. And we're celebrating it. And what, what did it say? And the older brother would not celebrate. Why? Because it's not fair. It's not right. Listen to me once. Life's not fair. Life is not right. It will never be. Quit keeping score. Ones are vigilantly monitoring. They're like the world's referees. Bow over here. Chris has a lot of one on him. One on him. How many times am I going to drop that in the sermon? Um, so we're listening to season three of the Serial Podcast, which um, I haven't listened to in a while. And it's about the justice system in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, we hear this story after story of an of, um, unbearable, documented, chargeable, um, 
police abuse of power and attorneys not doing their jobs and I and you should just see the postures we're taking in the car right now. Um, I'm over here like, that's horrible. It's incomprehensible. And Chris is like, well, if he had not been smoking pot and hadn't flipped off the officer three times, I just saw a couple heads go, yeah, I know. I'm knowing who my ones are. <laughs> you know you have a child who's a one when you pour cereal and the first thing they do is evaluate whether the portions are equal and the ratio of lucky charms to milk is right. Um, and so then you can eat. The older brother was angry, it said, and he wouldn't go into the party. His father comes out and pleads with him and he says, all these years I have shared, have shared everything with you. I've, I've, you have all that, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Come into the party. And he says, but I have, I have slaved. I've slaved, the older brother says. I never once neglected to do a single thing you told me to do and asked me to do. I do everything right. Thank God for you, one. Somebody has to do their taxes on time. And the older son says, you killed the cow for the idiot kid. But I didn't get a goat at all. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, comes back after squandering the money with prostitutes, ding, 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 how does the one, how does he know that that's happened? Interesting little tidbit to the story. The father said to the son, look, you have always, always stayed with me. Listen to me once. So God sees what you do. God sees it. You have always stayed with me. God sees you. God is honored. God is worshipped in your diligence, in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. But hear this. God is not doling out love and worth and grace in proportion to how you serve and how righteous you are. God is the God of the party. And this brother of yours was as good as dead and is now alive again and we have to celebrate. The father says, look, all that I have is yours, which is actually true. That fatted calf being given to the idiot son was the older brother's fatted calf. And what does that feel like to a one? Like stealing. We divided the estate. Idiot Junior blew all his money. I invested mine. How do you think the cow was fat anyways? And the father said, but we have to celebrate because your brother was lost and then he was found. Ones, I want to challenge you to praise God that God made you that way first. You were born from day one with this desire and need to do what is right and to make the world a better place, and that is beautiful. The reformer reflects God's goodness. You have reformers in your life and that is so far from the way you operate. Hear this for those of you who criticize. The reformer reflects God's goodness. Do we need more goodness in the world? Yes. Do we need more prodigal sons and children running away? Not really. <laughs> we must praise God. For those people who do what's right, who do what's good, what's noble, what's perfect, who hold the rest of us under a microscope, 
expecting the same. Once you reflect the goodness of God, this is how you reflect your maker. You show people that there's righteousness in the world. You do what's right even when you don't feel like doing it. Praise God for you. You are God's possession and you reflect the world, to the world the goodness of God. But once God has called you out of darkness, and so if you're the good person, the perfect person, the person who does what is right, what's your darkness? Because you're not perfect. <clears throat> this is what's so tragic because if you're a one and you grew up in the church, you don't, you don't have a good testimony normally. Your testimony is normally pretty lame. There, you don't have Vegas and heroin and prostitutes in your story. <laughs> you don't. Um, you're like, this one time I drank a Diet Pepsi and it gave me a headache. Um, and so I'm not going to do Splenda anymore. And that's my story. It's tragic that in, in the church we've drummed up the prodigal son story so much that we failed to understand that both sons need the gospel for different reasons. Both are lost in this story for different reasons. One son was an idiot, the other son was judgmental, and one, this is your sin. This is where you go wrong. I don't believe this story was ever really about the prodigal son anyways. You know why? I don't believe this because the whole, the whole life of the prodigal son is fixed at the end. We know what happens to him. We know everything about him do you know how the story ends for the good son? No. We don't know. You know why? Because this is a made-up son. Jesus isn't talking about this boy. He's talking about you. And he's asking you, what's your next step? Are you going to join the party? We don't know what happens to the older son. And so here's the question, reformer. This is the question God asks you. Can you trust me? Can you trust that I'll be good to you? I'll have what's best for you, like I am and like I do for the idiots. Can you trust me that I'm going to re reward you for your faithfulness? You see, here's the shadow side of the faith of the soul for the reformers who do good. The continuous inside question, is God really all that good? Is the father in this story really good? Is what this father is doing wise, or is he stupid too? Because not only does the son think his brother's an idiot, he thinks his father is one too. And that's sin. He's called you out of darkness and into a wonderful light. And so what's the core motivation for a one to do what is good and right? What's the right thing to do? You ask this before you ask, what do I want to do? All the time. Most of us operate out of, I'm going to do what feels good to me. Not ones. What's the core need for one? To be perfect, to be right, to be righteous. Good luck with that. What does the one have to avoid at all costs? Criticism. Because if you can criticize everything else around you and notice the flaws all the time. Keeps you from having to acknowledge your own. And that's what you're really afraid of. Ones can be very critical 
of their children, of their spouses, of their friends. One's should all over the place, all over everyone, you heard it. You should, you should all over us, ones. You should, you should, you should, you should, you should, you should all over us all the time. You need to stop shooting on us. What does the, what does the one, I did not intend to say that. What does the one focus on? The flaws, what's missing. Ones have a hard time giving themselves or anyone else grace. Your brother's alive. How does this make you feel? That freaking pisses me off, the one says. So how do you move from that pisses me off to I'll join the party? Change it up a little bit here for you. Your next right theme song. Who am I? 